I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, we're going to talk about travel. You see, in our performance world, we constantly aim to maximize the very specific and deliberate physiological stress, that word is important, stress of training, seeking optimal adaptations from our hard work. But we're also doing this while we're juggling the management of all of the other stresses in our life, work, relationships, sleep, you name it. And in a time-starved life, we're spinning the plates of stress, looking to drive forward and be highly effective in our training. But we also want to thrive in all the other aspects of our life. Bring the hurricane. Travel. A corrosive stressor that dismantles so many athletes' ability to evolve and improve. Today, we dig in. We provide the ABCs of travel management and performance. We cannot escape the physiological stress of travel, the topsy-turvy time zone shifts, nor even the unhelpful airline employee who seems to light up at the chance to charge you the extra couple of hundred dollars just for seeing your bike safely, perhaps safely, get onto the plane. But what we can do today is provide strategies and tools to minimise the emotional and physical stress and ultimately offset the impact on your performance journey. It doesn't matter if you're a time-starved executive looking to arrive ready to perform in the business meetings or if you're an athlete looking to minimize disruption to that all-important training schedule. Today, it's for you. So let's go on a journey with each other. And today, we're flying at the front of the bus. No economy class for you. You're way too special for that. Let's go first class. But before we do, let's have a little dance. Come on, I know you want to. Don't be shy. It's only a short little song. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wink. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. Rest days. Yes, the word of the week. And this week, rest days. Why, you ask? Why are we going to talk about rest days? Well, I see a lot of athletes and coaches that seem to have a unforgiving, strict adherence to the focus on having a complete day off every single week, a day of rest, not just for the Sabbath, a day of physiological rest from training. Now, it might be helpful to frame the value and the benefits of rest days against what I would label instead recovery or rejuvenation days. So here's the headline news. It's not physiologically, physiologically imperative for you to integrate a complete day of rest every single week of training. In fact, following complete inactivity for about 24 hours, it's not uncommon for an athlete to respond by feeling really lethargic in the day following when you do want to train hard. The fact is that the only real reason to have 24 hours of complete inactivity is either down to logistics, as we say, life brings rest days, 
or that the fact that the athlete needs emotional break from the sport and doesn't want to train and prefers instead, which is quite right and fine to have, the mindset of turning their back on the sport every week for a day. But it's not physiologically imperative to have the day off. Now, before you jump to the conclusion that the obsessive of the listeners already have and think, great, more training time, a chance to make myself suffer even more, what is imperative is to have full days or more of very low stress training, specifically designed to facilitate rejuvenation, allow the body to rest, which in turn leads to greater adaptations from that hard work. So the key is that some training if easy enough, can actually promote healing and adaptations. Success ultimately is what's doing right for you. Don't be guilted into thinking you must do something daily, but if it makes you feel better and also, through learning and observation, promotes performance in the key tougher sessions, and then it's likely a good thing for you. Oh, and one more thing. Very easy and low-stress training also provides opportunity for another aspect of performance, skill development. You see, if your training stress is low, as it should be in a recovery day, then your capacity for the awareness of technique and skills is amplified. Use it, lean into it, and don't let those opportunities bypass you. And that is why the word of the week this week is rest days. Not quite as important, or as critical as many will have you believe. Now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, gang, well, let's dive in. And first, let me give you a little context here. Why are we talking about travel? Why do we want to revisit this subject? Well, the catalyst was actually from a very nice piece that was just released from CNN. And they did a nice little piece on the traveling executive that you're going to see over the coming months at a lot of the airports domestically in the US. You can go to the show page on our website. We'll drop the link in there. And Unfortunately, or fortunately for you, you're going to get very used to seeing it at many airports. Oh dear, when I think about that, am I really going to guiltily be grabbing a large burger and beer at the airport bar and see myself talking performance on a screen in front of me? Oh, the perils of walking the walk is ahead of me, I think. But with the nice peace in our minds, we thought it might be helpful today to expand a little to dig in a little deeper and really dive into the actionable steps that you can take to integrate your performance into travel. So without a pause, let's get going. Let's kick it off with a story. And I want to tell you a story about a real athlete, Sam. We could call her Sam the Obsessor. Well, let me explain how Sam unfortunately, drove herself into trouble with the hectic world of travel. First, let's talk about Sam. The truth is that she was a model of a time-staffed athlete, highly committed, loved training, didn't like to miss sessions, but on the flip side, planned her schedule. She tracked performance both as subjective and objective and always looked for patterns. And she had a slew of positive habits, ate very well, great sleep, integrated strength and conditioning. And while she had lofty goals for herself, 
she really managed the demands of a challenging but rewarding work and family schedule while also being able to progress in her sport. So what was her boogeyman? Travel. It destroyed her. It wreaked havoc. Typically, right around bouts of frequent travel, she would experience lots of colds, lots of extended sickness. She tracked injuries over the course of her performance journey and it was always following bouts of frequent travel. And quite often she had a real time struggling to time zone shifts, feeling many, many days following a real lag of performance. In other words, each time that Sam travelled, it would put a, and now it's time to go all English on you, it would put a spanner in the works of her performance puzzle. But the question is why? Here's an athlete that's doing so much right, good eating, good habits, integrated strength, careful planning, highly committed, but also a little bit flexible and practical when it comes to the other demands of her life. And then she had travel. Was it just her genetic makeup? Well, no. You see, with Sam, the first step is to acknowledge that travel is a big stress. And upon joining Purple Patch, she was already a follower of this show. She already looked to apply many of the habits and approaches and she had done successfully in training. And so why was it that this big stress of travel was the thing that would tip her over the edge? What was happening to her? Well, come on a journey with me. Let's dig in. The primary issue that we saw with Sam was that she wasn't giving travel its stress deserves. It was the one area where Sam went on with a battering ram approach to her training. Her driving mindset was to keep progressing forward and try and force her same training schedule as she would in any regular week, but drive it into that week of travel. She didn't want to be disrupted despite the fact that she had the undeniable fact that life was being disrupted. And so her approach was hard intervals scheduled on the day of arrival, hard intervals it was. Her mission was to maintain full training load, despite all of the sleep disruptions and the emotional challenges of going through travel. She already felt like she was working off of a smart program. And so she had the emotional tug. This was the one step too far where she really didn't want to dilute the training program anymore. I'm already being time efficient. I'm already trying to optimize how much more can a gal do without diluting the training effect. She also had really poor travel habits. Her baseline home habits were super, but she really didn't have any strategy applied to her approach when travel came into the equation. And particularly with her when she had time zones and travel that extended through meal times. She had very poor hydration habits. Static time without movement in the air, often just plugging into her iPhone or iPad and watching a movie without moving. And she was prone to participating in the airplane food and pretty poor eating choices thrown the way. Pretty much, she ignored time zones and very little that she thought she could do with stress minimization. The impact? Well, let's consider her daily life. Let's take a step back and see how caustic this can be. You see, on a regular daily life, Sam had all the stresses of life. And of course, while always being busy, they ebb and flow a little bit. 
She then very carefully, and we should remember, really successfully integrated training stress. And she had to do that by carefully managing and making decisions to optimize relative to the ebb and flow of life stress. And ultimately, though, she's hungry, she's driven, and she's eager, and she loves her performance journey. And so rightfully, she was in her baseline daily life doing exactly what she should be doing, which was to maximize training load while achieving positive adaptations. And of course, that's our principal mission of training. She absolutely was loading it up within context of a life while staying positive. And we have to remember that in Sam's case, she was doing a great job. But what that means is that her apple cart of stress was always very, very close to full. And she was very cautious at managing those last few apples as life happened. But now she adds, boom, the hurricane travel. Unmistakably, a huge physiological and emotional stress, a mighty godlike size apple of stress. And so while she was thriving in daily life, what she was unable to do was to shift the approach and mindset with the stress bomb. She just drove forward, really hesitant to take a step back and manage. The outcome for Sam was both acute and ultimately accumulative stress, especially in those times that she had frequent travel bouts, multiple weekends and or weeks in a row. So the headline news for Sam, well, the intervention was simple. When travel hits, she had to manage her expectations and have a fundamental shift in mindset. That driving mindset was very simple. And if you take nothing else from today, take this. When you're traveling as a performance-minded individual, the thirst and the quest should not be to move forward in performance. You can't try and get fitter, stronger, more powerful. Instead, when travel is there, with all of its undeniable physical and emotional stresses, the best success is doing enough not to move backwards. That can be liberating. That can be empowering. But ultimately, it should be the framework that defines your mindset of how you go about travel. If we lock and hold on to that mindset, and we remember that the performance journey is just that, it's a process and a journey, then this mindset opens the door of long-term progress and success. In fact, it's one of the keys to consistency and your performance success. If Sam takes the long view and she commits to managing the stress episodes of travel and then remains that really smart, pragmatic approach when home, She's going to ultimately be sick less often, more equipped to absorb and adapt to the training at home when she is looking to drive forward. And the effectiveness and the quality of that training that she does at home is going to likely be much higher. And so for Sam, it was primarily an adjustment of mindset and perspective. Now, there were also some very tactical approaches to enable this to take hold for her. Great, I hear yourself. I get the concept. Perhaps this little battle of travel stress is actually beatable. 
but you haven't told me how. Well, all right, let me oblige. Let's get a little more granular. Let's get into those tactical approaches that we use. And we should draw off of this and appreciate that many of these approaches, approaches, or what we'll call today the ABCs of travel tips, both for prior to, during, and on arrival, are exactly the approaches that we tend to use for our protocols of our professional athletes, as well as the busiest CEOs and executives that we work with. So let's go through four parts here. Part one, before travel, setting yourself up for success. Part two, during travel, what you should do to try and minimize the stress. Part three, arrival. What do you do when you get to destination, either on the outbound or the return? And finally, part four, training management. A headline news perspective on what you should do with your approach to your endurance training as you mitigate travel. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before travel, part one. Well, this is a big part of your success ultimately travel. Set yourself up for success. So there's a few tidbits here. Firstly, plan your travel right for you. Not right for your neighbor, not right for your friend. Aim to try and plan your travel right. And the key thing here is a little bit of honesty and a little bit of understanding of how you operate as a human being. Let's take a red eye or an overnight flight. Is that good for you? Well, the answer is it depends. And the research shows that if you're a night owl or someone that tends to stay up later at night and operate into the early hours pretty well, and then sometimes a red eye isn't such a bad thing. Can you sleep on planes? If not, then this is a performance disaster. So for me, who's a morning lark, loves to get up early, and I sleep okay on planes, but not being a night owl, I know and understand that it's a recipe for a performance disaster. So I avoid red eyes or overnight flights at all costs. On the flip side, if you are a night owl, and then try not to take a 6am flight departure because you realise it's not 6am. It's actually waking at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and that's going to heavily disrupt your sleep the night before if you don't typically go to bed to 11, 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And so this is going to destroy you. But for me, not such a bad approach. And so planning your travel is really valuable. Once you've got the time schedule that's most appropriate for you, then plan your seats. My recommendation, if you're on a day flight, the best seat that you can get is an aisle seat because that's going to enable you to move around the cabin easier, remain a little bit active on the flight, as tough as that is, and also not ultimately upset your neighbour by jumping across them every hour or so. But if you're getting a flight where you want to maximise your rest or sleep, then I'd lean into getting a window seat if possible. Even the big boys listening. And me, 6'3", I'm a big boy. So, the window. It's the timeless argument for those with long legs. But I'd argue the window because you've got something to lean on. You're going to get less disturbances. And ultimately, you're not going to have that trolley ramming into your knee just as your knee is slid out to the aisle as you begin to snooze. Ram, excuse me, drinks coming through. So I would lean in, pivot and use the window 
to actually get a little bit of rest and sleep. A little bit of pragmatism when you're choosing, if you have the opportunity, the seat that you're going to sit into. What else is there before you travel? Well, let's talk about eating strategies. Typically, what your quest or goal is, is to arrive at your destination ready and eager to have a time-appropriate meal. So before you leave, the key is that you want to avoid arriving at the flight stuffed and full. There goes my airport burger that I mentioned earlier, I guess. Your last meal really wants to be a couple of hours prior to takeoff, and it wants to be of high-quality nutrient-dense foods. Lots of protein, lots of good oils for your immune system, lots of fruits and vegetables. Now, the caveat to the timing is if you are taking an early flight, don't compromise on sleep quality just to get up even earlier to have your early breakfast. It's not that critical. Getting proper sleep the night before is always going to be the net more important component. The third component before you arrive, dress smart. I don't mean dress in a suit. I mean with a bit of smarts, mate. Shoes that are comfortable or easy to remove in flight. Very comfortable clothes with layers so that you can get to the temperature control that's right for you in the cabin that is always seeming to be a little too cold or a little too hot. And ultimately as well, bring your toolkit. What's that you say? Well, it's not your spanners and your hammers, but it's the toys and equipment that can help you rest and relax during the flight. We're going to get to the details of that in a minute. The final component, don't arrive to the plane dehydrated. You want to put yourself just as you would going into a training session, just as you would want to going into a race. You want to be equipped for hydration during and you don't want to arrive into a dehydrated state because it is going to maximize your lethargy and fatigue on arrival, no matter how well you hydrate during the plane ride. So I tend to bring an empty drinking bottle with my little preferred hydration tablet that's sitting there ready to dissolve. And once I'm past security, I just fill my bottle and there is my fluid goodness miracle juice for my flight and duration. And yes, I hear you say, but that means more pee breaks. But guess what? That's a good thing because sitting is the new smoking and more functional movement leads to greater circulation of blood, which is going to leave you alert and mitigate stress accumulation over the course of this trip. So as much as a pain in the behind as it is sometimes, frequently getting up is not such a bad thing on this plane. All right, so we set ourselves up for success. Now let's go to part two. What do you do during the travel? This is the one where there are a lot of mistakes made. So let's go through these. There are five main little things to consider. Number one, avoid suppressors, particularly alcohol. All right, so we're doing the show. I'm giving you some performance advice. I think it's time for me to be honest. I typically fail on this one. Almost any time I take an afternoon flight, I'm sitting there, I'm a prisoner. The beer comes around. I have one. I'm English. What can I say? But I promise you my advice is sound. And so do as I say, not as I do. Avoid the suppressors. I think it's a good thing if you want to perform. Number two, reduce noise and light. An essential little toy in your toolkit 
is a set of eye pillows and a set of earplugs. Seriously high value, no matter how you look. It's not a fashion parade. It's a critical element. And you'll be surprised at the noise pollution that actually exists in that little tube that you're traveling. Number three, and you're going to think I'm crazy, bring your pillow. Seriously. If you're traveling on a big flight, a great example being some of my many frequent ventures from San Francisco to London, I actually take my own real-sized pillow. Now, there's real science behind this, and there is actual research that shows that the quality of sleep, when coupled with your preferred pillow and the smell that's associated as much of a hassle, is going to make a big difference on the quality of rest that you get on an overnight flight. So what do I do? I take a little extra size carry-on, I stuff it to the bottom, and when I'm ready to be left alone, I get on my plane, I pull it out, and I have a little piece of home with me in this very foreign environment. Two more in the during travel pieces. Don't overeat the sodium-laden food that you're delivered on the plane. I get it. You're bored. It's put in front of you. But ultimately realize this. It's going to make you feel rubbish. If anything, you want to slightly fast and undereat on a flight and ultimately only focus on hydration or those protein-focused snacks that maybe you've prepped from before. Really important to try and minimize the food that's going to make you arrive to destination and feel terrible. And then finally, number five, get moving. Sitting will be the death of you. We want to keep the blood moving as much as possible. So take advantage as you can to the little pee breaks and the socially acceptable little mobility that you can do mid-flight. It honestly helps. Are there any other little add-ons? Sure, a couple of things. They might work for you. Compression socks, not actually such a bad time to put them on. There's even potential value when you're flying with the compression socks. Even a foam roller, a little mini half-moon foam roller that you can just pack into your carry-on and stick behind your back for lumbar support. And finally, this is a wonderful time when you are a prisoner in the plane to actually utilize a meditation app. It's a good time to implement, and it's a good time to bring you down a notch. We arrive. The wheels touch down. We get to destination. Now what? We're either at destination or at home. What do we need to do? Well, no matter how well you've done with the planning section and the execution during travel, your arrival is an opportunity to set yourself up for success in performance at destination and ultimately ramp towards real training when they're on your return. But we've got to do it right. The first piece of this is non-negotiable. It is your number one travel tool in my book. Get moving. But the movement must be done right. It has to be a low-stress recovery session. We talked about that in Word of the Week. With the mission simply to move blood. So we're not looking to drive for fitness. We're not implementing a hard training session. But we're circulating blood and reminding us what it is to be a normal functioning human being. With this, we do want to spark up the brain, as I call it. So within that easy session, we want a series of very short but very high intensity mini intervals, some seven to 15 second sprints or dashes of work. Now, 
we shouldn't really call them intervals because the real purpose is just to engage the central nervous system and spark up a really positive dialogue between the brain and your muscles. I promise it's going to wake you up and feel better. Now, if you cannot formally exercise, and sometimes you just can't, either because of the time of arrival or the logistics that occur for you on arrival, do all you can to move. Use the stairs, walk in the airport, don't use the silly travelators. Make sure that you walk to dinner, whatever you can to get the blood moving, to have a series of little spikes of energy so that you can feel better. If nothing else, we start really grasping at straws, but at least have a shower. No one wants to smell you anyway. Number two on our on-arrival piece is eat a meal. Now, this is fantastic to do if you can do it shortly after arrival, but even better if you can do it immediately after exercising on arrival, fueling, and you should be hungry. And the mission is to try and eat a time zone appropriate meal with highly nutritious foods. So if you've flown overnight and you arrive at breakfast, have breakfast at the time of the day that you're actually arriving. If it's lunchtime, have lunch. If it's evening time, have a meal. But the key is nutrient-dense, lots of proteins, lots of veggies, a little bit of fat. Number three, retain your hydration status. Even though you might have done a good job of starting hydrated and retaining hydration status on the plane, we don't want to fall into a hole of dehydration. And remember that we've been under cabin pressure. And so, retained consumption of fluids all the way through your arrival and ultimately your trip. And finally, number four, set yourself up for success on sleep. Now, that might mean managing light relative to your needs. You want to have a darker room if you need to sleep. Make sure that you manage your screen time. Utilize those eye pillows and earplugs and ensure that your hotel room is cool. Oh, and of course, if you did decide to bring it, it's a wonderful time to use your pillow. A little bit of home in the hotel. Finally, part four, guys. What about training? How do we take training knowing that we're not looking to drive forward, but instead we're looking to take the pressure off and ensure that we're not falling back too much? Our approach to training is the net of our performance so that it doesn't all go to rubbish. So to think about training, let's first think about what you should do going into travel. Now, it used to be my style to really resist tougher sessions before travel, but now I've sort of morphed and evolved a little bit, and I'm less inclined to resist. I don't think that the negative impact of hard training going into travel is quite as negative as I thought it might be. And so I've taken a little bit more of a pragmatic lens. Instead, the only thing that we really avoid is sessions that cause major muscular damage or tightness. Great examples of that might be something like hard intervals on the track or doing some very, very hard high-intensity running with lots of downhill. We also aim to avoid really hormonally stressful overload sessions, big, big days where you're going to actually really suppress the system and then go into the stress of travel with a compromised immune system. But generally, we tend to stick to normal training going in. There you go. My gift for you. Train regularly. Don't worry about it. But the key is what you do on arrival. So we've already got our recovery session. Remember, something active with those little mini sprints just to spark up the dialogue between brain and muscle. 
But on day two after arrival or return home, you're still not ready to hit high load. The body is typically not ready to absorb or adapt and really take high intensity intervals. So what you can do there is some nice endurance work. So go lower intensity, a little bit longer in duration if you have it, keeping maybe a little bit of that spark going on with the short intervals, but you're not looking already to hit some very, very hard intensity. And then on day three, bam, hit it. Intervals, you're ready to go, you're back into regular training. Now the one caveat of this is if you are going long haul, you might just need one extra day. And in that case, it's day one, move the blood, that's recovery. Day two then, you go very, very easy again. So you've got a couple of days of very easy. And then day three would be endurance, nice and smooth. And then day four, boom, you're back onto it, high intensity intervals. Now, if you remain pragmatic and thoughtful, I promise you, you're going to be successful. Let's finally on this journey, set our expectations. If you're going to be successful integrating Strava into your life, you cannot be too rigid with your framework. Ultimately, the plan is only as good as the day it is written. And so you have to keep a pragmatic lens, listen to the body, and ultimately be willing to adjust or give yourself an extra day. You should also expect that it's very frequent to have a little bit of a lag of fatigue. So even if you followed the protocols, even if you've done everything right, you might arrive at destination or particularly return home and four or five days, you might just start feeling great and then boom, six or seven days later, lethargy. Don't worry, it's okay. You're not a failure and it's very, very normal for things to catch up to you a little bit later on. That's where you just have to stay patient, give it another day of endurance, and then return to the higher intensity when the body tells you it is, rather than the mind and your aspirations making the decisions for you. And finally, realize you're not a machine. I really encourage you to have the discipline and courage to retain a big picture lens. Too many feel like a bad few days or a tough week of life is going to be the undoing to their own own whole performance progression. But the truth is that the real undoing is the constant poor habits and decision making when these tough episodes bubble up. You're not alone and you are equipped, no matter what you think, you are equipped to successfully manage. So, That's travel. Feel free to use this framework to test and find what works for you. But as with so many aspects, the truth is that some of these areas are highly individual and dependent on really works for your rhythm. But I will encourage you that this framework can act as a catalyst for you to test, evolve and refine for what suits you. What works for you? Well, it's the approach that minimizes the impact of travel, dilutes the risk or occurrence of subsequent sickness and allows retention of the best energy and consistency within context of the length and the stress of the travel experience. And so onward. I hope you enjoyed first class. You probably don't get to sit up here very often, do you? Now, let's do a question. (laughs) 
Yes question of the week, and it's a special one this week. But before I tell you the question or read it out, I want to tell you that now we've got our brand new podcast page up. Head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash podcast and we have a lovely form there that's very simple to fill out and you can ask any questions and I promise we read every single one of them we filter them and then we try and get to as many of them as we can so if you have more subjects that we'd like you'd like us to dive into if you have a question about your performance we're going to draw from those questions that are submitted and try and ask the ones that are most applicable to the audience today we have a question from now who is this woman Cecilia Davis Hayes. Hmm. Cecilia is a pro triathlete from New York City and also a purple patch. Oh, yes, Cecilia. Cecilia, you are the epitome, the epitome of the time starved athlete. You are, from me to you, a beacon of inspiration for so many people. And congratulations because you are graduating medical school at the same time performing at the highest level in elite professional triathlon. And so it's not ironic, it's wonderful to get a question for you on the podcast. I spoke to you early today, I'm surprised that you didn't just ask me then, but here we are. And so my name is Cecilia Davis Hayes, I'm a pro triathlete from New York City and a purple patch pro athlete. But this question is about my fiance, Eric very nice guy and a doctor himself as well he's too shy to write in come on eric man up my friend he's a busy 32 year old anesthesiologist and a cycling enthusiast he has no competition goals but he wants to improve which is always the quest very purple patch good man but he has three important training goals number one keep up with fiance i think that's going to be a challenge for you eric having your fiance as cecilia but keeping up with cecilia on your endurance rides Number two, keep up with his future father-in-law. Yes, this 60-year-old ultramarathoner is quite a force on the bike, and I have heard all about him. Yes, indeed he is. And number three, finally, keep a reasonably trim figure. But right now he rides his bike about three times a week with one two- to four-hour weekend ride and then 90 minutes outside on rolling terrain and a 45-minute weekday session on the trainer with the intervals prescribed by yours truly. I'm sure you're ripping off the Purple Patch program, you naughty woman. So if he adds, if he's lucky, he adds in a little strength and a little yoga. So the question, this is the longest question ever, mostly because I am extending it beyond life's capabilities. But here we are. What is the best use of his three weekly sessions of cycling? This is a wonderful question because it's really going to extend to a lot of people that love to ride their bikes. He said, should I go as hard as I can on every ride? Obviously, it's not a huge role, role for recovery rides. Or shall I go out and do tempo rides? What should be the thing? So my immediate response is really three things. The first is you've got to enjoy and have fun. And so you want to have that outside ride being sort of your free ride of the week. And that's going to be the place that you develop a lot of resilience and a lot of development. But there's going to be a low yield or return on investment if you're just doing that ride as a steady, smooth endurance ride. So don't be afraid of using that ride to go out and try and stay with Cecilia, to try and actually put a little bit of work in with the underlying mindset or realization that that's the place that you're getting your resilience. And so over the course of three to four hours, by definition, 
you're going to get some endurance work. But it's not going to give you any real yield by keeping it low, low intensity. That's a common mistake that many time-starved athletes make. Instead, variety is the goal in there. You will have endurance because you're doing it for three to four hours, but but don't be afraid to do a little bit of keep up. And that might be working harder on one of the hills, going through a period where you go to the front and you try and keep Cecilia away. Or when she's doing one of her intervals, you sit on the back and try and hang on for grim death. The key is what you do for the other two rides. And when you're only riding three times a week, there's very little return or use, as you say, Cecilia, of doing low stress recovery. And so I would incorporate two components. The one is end of range. So maybe the longer ride, the 90 minute ride, where you do some very, very strong extended intervals at low cadence. The catalyst, we might call it the special source of purple patch, is to do a lot of work at very low big gear or overgeared work. A lot of 45, 55, 65 revolutions per minute at a very strong effort. And you can do that with a wide variety of types of intervals. You can mix it up by week. Six by four minutes, very strong. Two by 20 minutes, maybe with four minutes at 45, 55, 65, 55, 45 RPM as you're going through to add up to 20 minutes. Key components like that. And then the short session, very, very high intensity. We have an aptly named session in the Purple Patch Squad, nipple twisters. Nipple twisters? How do you call a workout nipple twisters? Well, it's Matt Dixon, that's what we tend to do. But nipple twisters are serious, a very, very high intensity intervals with declining rest. One minute as hard as you can go, one minute recuperation easy. One minute as hard as you can go, 55 seconds recovery. One minute as hard as you can go, 50 seconds recovery. The journey goes on pretty much close till failure. But a series of very, very short high intensity work. You might also do something that is a bit more maximal and power driven. One to two minutes, very strong with lots of recovery, 200% recovery. So four minutes recovery following two minute intervals. Or even something like six by four minutes at or above your maximal steady state with just a few minutes recovery between. So the headline news, the short session, very high intensity. The medium session, strength endurance, very strong. The longer workout, nice endurance, but still add a little bit of salt and pepper. And if the body feels good, a little bit of intensity. So I hope that helps, Eric. Best of luck on your journey. Strength training is wonderfully important. A good little bit of yoga, really critical and fun as well. And for the rest of you guys, I hope that's helpful. Three rides a week, a little bit of performance progression. And so with that, we'll end it. Keep the questions going in. Remember, purplepatchfitness.com forward slash podcast. And we'll take it from there. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!